Father, we do just praise you and thank you for your love for us, that uh, you sent your son and he willingly came. He became like us, yet without sin. Thank you. Thank you that we have a great high priest who has died for our sins and rose from the dead and is at your right hand and intercedes for us who understands, having become forever now, the God-man. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And Father, I pray as we look into your word that you would bless it, that you would use it to greatly encourage us, and you would use it to convict uh, those who don't know you, that they might see your tremendous love, and that they might turn from sin to your son Jesus for salvation. Thank you for this time. Bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are getting close to Christmas. And uh, it's interesting because most people in the United States understand why we celebrate Christmas. There's a few weird things here and there. But uh, culturally speaking, it isn't gone yet. But uh, with that in mind, for many people, although they may understand maybe the fact that a babe came in a manger or whatever it might be, they don't really grasp on a personal basis throughout the day and throughout the weeks and throughout the years what truly has happened. Because the only way to truly grasp it in that sense is to have a heart change. And God is gracious because God has been revealing Uh, ever since he created mankind, revealing what he would do, that he would bring a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and that mankind is in need of a Savior. Well, today we're going to take a look at a passage that details uh, Christmas and the Incarnation. And so would you turn with me to Isaiah 53? Now, this is a very familiar passage, but I consider it right to remind you and to remind myself, because with familiarity comes contempt. We can understand and know things quite well and yet really not think about them. Now, the book of Isaiah was written 700 years before Christ came. It was written by the prophet Isaiah. And the subject of the book of Isaiah is the restoration of the created order. That's what it's about. And that restoration comes through two means, through judgment and salvation. And that judgment, salvation, would the, the salvation or that redemption would culminate in the kingdom on this earth. Now, right before our passage... Uh, Isaiah reveals that God will judge the nations and unbelieving Israel. And he reveals then that redemption would come from Babylon through Cyrus, who is a type of the Messiah to come. It's from this point he begins to expose and reveal how he would bring redemption through the suffering servant. Uh, That he would restore those who would accept his free gift, his free gift. And after this passage, we have an invitation up in Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, uh, buy and eat. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without, and without money and without cost. 
Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? In Isaiah 55, 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Tremendous invitation from the living God. But as we see, that pardon doesn't come out of thin air. That pardon comes through the work of redemption that would come forth through Christ the Lord. Let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 53. Let me read through it. Verse 1. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor an appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. One And like one from whom men hid their face. He was despised and yet we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Let's stop at that point right now. So as we begin this passage, we need to ask the question, who is this passage about? Who is this passage about? Uh, the unbelieving uh, Jews, those who are still in their sins, would say it's about God's servant, Israel. But who is this passage about? It seems to be more than just some uh, nation. Who is this passage about? Take a look at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 with me. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. That is, this is a desert road. And he arose and went, and behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go up and join the chariot. And when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation and judgment, he was taken away. Who shall relate to his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me of whom does this prophet say of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and began from this scripture. Uh, he preached Jesus to him. This passage is about Jesus. That's who this passage is about. 
It's about Jesus. And we see very clearly it is about Jesus. And that name is the name that was given to uh, God the Son when he took on human flesh. You remember chapter 1 of Matthew, verse 20, I'll read it for you. But when he had considered this, speaking of Joseph, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. You shall name him Yeshua, the Lord saves. And when the Ethiopian eunuch was reading Isaiah, Philip preached to him from the scriptures, Jesus. It's about Jesus. You see, Christmas is about Jesus. That's pure and simple. It's about Jesus. So with that in mind, let's take a look at our passage back in Isaiah 53. Notice the message of Christmas is revealed here. Notice it's a message. There is a message of Christmas. And I pray we might even have the opportunities as we go through this and are reminded this Christmas season to say, have you heard the message of Christmas? Where we can share the truth of what it is. Verse 1, who has believed our message? Isaiah 53. And to whom has the strong arm or the arm of the Lord been revealed? You see, first of all, this is a message to be believed. It is a message to be believed. This is so important because the message of Jesus is a message to be taken by faith. It's a message to be taken by faith. We believe in Jesus Christ. And the message is that to be believed. John chapter 20 John writes and he says, hey, this is what this gospel is about, the gospel of John. He says in verse 31, but these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you may have eternal life in his name. It's about believing. The Apostle Paul reveals this same truth, that God gives us a message, and that message is about Jesus Christ, and it is to be believed Romans chapter 10 let's turn to Romans chapter 10 these are all Christmas passages Romans chapter 10 verse 8 and as we look at this we're going to see that this message to be believed comes from the word of God Romans chapter 10, verse 8, But what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. I love it when I read that will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon him whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? 
just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. However, they did not all heed the glad tidings. And notice what he says here. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? We're going to see that the Jews rejected the message. They didn't believe. But the message is about Jesus Christ, and it comes through the word of God. Even we see this in verse 17 of that same passage in Romans. So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. God's word is powerful. And God uses it by his spirit to convict man of sin and to reveal the Savior, Jesus Christ. Who has believed the message? Who has believed it? And back in our passage, this was a prediction of the rejection of the Jews in believing in Jesus Christ. Jesus shares the same truth in John 12. Turn to John 12. He shares the same truth. John 12, verse 35. Jesus therefore said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, that darkness may not overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light. John 12, 36. In order that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and he departed, and he him, and hid himself from them. But through, but though he though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were what not believing in him. They weren't believing in him. That the word of the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has this is our passage? Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this cause uh, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes, he has hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Who has believed the message? It was a prediction that the Jews would reject it. That they would reject it. And then notice he says back in our passage in Isaiah 53, And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The message speaks of glad tidings, some, some message, a report, who's believed it? And then in parallel, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? You see, it's God's message and God reveals concerning his arm, in a sense. It speaks of power and might. It speaks in context of his saving power and might. And to whom has it been revealed? To whom has it been revealed? To whom has the Lord's saving strength and power been revealed? Through the message. So we see here that the message, uh, what we're going to see, and, and we do see, is the message of the gospel is to be believed it's about Jesus Christ and it is about his saving strength. He is the one who saves. And then notice we have the message specifically, Isaiah 53, the actual message being relayed forth. Verse 2, for he, he's explaining, he's explaining, for 
For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor an appearance that we should be attracted to him. Here, in the message to be believed, revealed in the scriptures, we see that there is an explanation that he grew up before him like a tender shoot. This is an amazing statement. This is referring to the incarnation. This is referring to the reality of God taking on human flesh. The message is about Jesus here who grew up before the Father. He was like a tender shoot, a young, vulnerable plant. And I believe he's talking about those years in which Jesus grew up, the years of his childhood, the years where no one fully comprehended who he really was, the years in which the Father in heaven was carefully watching over his Son from childhood to adulthood. What an amazing thing. Totally dependent on the Father, just as we are. Isaiah is referring to his humanity. He grew up. He grew up. Tremendous reality. God took on human flesh. God took on human flesh. Listen to these verses. Turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Luke puts it this way. Verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city from Galilee called Lazarus, Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And then look in chapter 2 of Luke. We had this read for us earlier. Come up to it. Now the days, now it came about in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census when Quinarius was governor of Syria. And while they, while all were proceeding to register for the census, census, everyone in his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn. And I read this earlier. John puts it this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And we beheld his glory, glorious, the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Luke writes in the end of chapter 2, verse 40, And the child continued to grow strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. What an amazing thing. He grew up before him like a tender shoot. He grew up just like you and I. He was born of a woman. He grew up as a child, grew up, became an adult. Amazing. What amazing humility that God, who created all things and through him all things exist, took on human flesh like us. That's an amazing thought. Well, besides this amazing humility, as we'll see, there's a context in which he came. Back in our passage in uh, Isaiah 53, it says, And like a root out of parched ground. The term root could be pointing to the fact that Jesus is the root and offspring of Jesse. That's possible. He is the root and offspring of David, we see. The Lord Jesus says it himself in Revelation 22. Romans 15, 12, there shall come a root and he shall rise and rule over the Gentiles in him. The Gentiles shall hope. Now this root came up out of parched or literally dry ground. He's giving us the context in which the Son of God came to this earth. He was carefully watched over by the Father as he grew up, but he came at a time in which the ground was parched, literally barren or dry. You see, in relationship to God, Israel was spiritually dry and barren. They were very religious, the most religious on the planet, but they were spiritually dry and barren. He grew up before him like a, like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. Out of parched ground. Maybe the ground of your heart is parched and dry and barren. Pray, Lord God, soften my heart that I would be able to receive the truth. Now, Jesus, although being God, humbled himself and took on an additional nature, a human nature, and he became like us. And his humanity, in his human nature, there was nothing special. There's nothing special. Notice our passage, middle of verse 2, back in Isaiah 53. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him nor an appearance that we should be attracted to him. There are physical specimens out there that are attractive and have stately forms. I was reading in the Old Testament about Absalom. He was one who was very attractive. But the Lord Jesus here had no stately form in his humanity. The term speaks of uh, form or outline. It speaks of uh, that there was nothing physically impressive about Jesus, who was a normal man. Now the term majesty speaks of an ornament or splendor and honor. There was nothing visibly special, special, special about our Lord Jesus that we should look upon him because we are so enamored by pride and, and we follow anything and everything but the Lord. And so he didn't come in a way that would attract us to him by what we see, by what we see, that we should look upon him. And he says in the end of verse 2, that nor in appearance that we should be attracted to him. Nothing special. 
He had no stately former majesty that we should look upon him, no appearance that we should be attracted to him. Now we know that Jesus became like us. Hebrews 2.14, Since then the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same. It's amazing. Amazing humility. He left his heavenly glory to take on human flesh. He left the riches of heaven to become like us. 2 Corinthians 8.9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor, that through his poverty, uh, you might become rich. Tremendous reality. Although being fully God, sovereign in the heavens, angels worshiping, declaring, and his word is accomplished immediately. He voluntarily relinquished the independent, sovereign use of his divine power and subjected himself to the Father to do his will for our sake. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. I like reading this passage because it really is wonderful. It's a conversation between the Father and the Son. We, we get to listen in. Quite amazing, God lets us do so. And the point here is that these Old Testament sacrifices never did anything. They were shadows to point to the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, For it is impossible for the blood of bull and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, that's Christmas, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. That's an amazing statement. He says here, In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the roll of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. That's why he came. And after saying sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast not desired, nor hast thou taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law, then he said, Behold, I have come to do thy will. He takes away the first, the shadow, in order to establish the second, the reality, that's Christ. By this will, that's by Christ coming to do the Father's will, uh, we, have been san- we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time and after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Wow. That's Christmas. And we see the very mindset of our God in the book of Philippians and taking on human flesh. His very thoughts that we are to have also. Philippians 2, turn to Philippians 2. We're to have this attitude or literally mind, this thinking also. We're to think like Jesus thought when he came and took on human flesh. Amazing thoughts. Philippians 2, 4. 2, 5, excuse me. 2, 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, or literally mind, thinking, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, 
did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Have you ever truly pondered what God did? You know, we celebrate this babe in a manger, we think about it, and it's wonderful. But have you pondered that God, the Son, who in him was created all things, took on human flesh? That's the message of Christmas. You see, it's about Jesus Christ. And it is revealed by God in his word. And it is to be believed. And it's concerning his, first of all, his humanity and his humility. But there's more to the message because he's going to explain this message. Remember, he says four. He's explaining. Back in our passage, verse three. It's also about his rejection. That's the message. We need to see this. Verse 3, And he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hid their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. This is an amazing statement. God in human flesh, sinless, was despised and forsaken of men. The term despised speaks of being counted as nothing. He was counted as nothing. He was rejected. And we see this throughout the Gospels. Man rejecting Jesus when he doesn't do what they want him to do. He was forsaken. He was betrayed. And we see in his humanity, which is amazing, middle of verse 3, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The very God of the universe we know wept. The very God of the universe was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We see that. We see throughout the Gospels, Jesus grieving over death, grieving over unbelief, grieving over man's sin, grieving over Israel's outright rejection of him. He was in the world, John 1.10, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, those who were his own, but and those who were his own did not receive him. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And notice he says, like one who, from whom men hid their face. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Peter says that he was rejected. 1 Peter 2, 4, and coming to him as a living stone rejected by men, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. So why would God, the Son, who created all things, who holds all things together, who is worshipped by angels, who speaks and it is done immediately, why would he come, take on human flesh, to be despised and rejected by his own creation? Why would he come and allow the grief of man's sin to affect him? He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. 
Why Christmas? He was despised. End of verse 3. And we did not esteem him or literally think about him. Now this is a prophetic reality of what Israel would do. Israel didn't care about him. And they didn't think about him. They treated him as of no value. And this weighed heavily on the living God, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. You think no one understands when you're rejected, your sorrows, your grief, your loneliness? You think no one understands you are sorely wrong? Jesus does. Except he understands from a perfectly righteous standpoint, a holy standpoint, but yet a merciful standpoint. Have you regarded Jesus as nothing? Is he in your everyday thinking and afterthought? Is he nothing to you? He was one from whom like men hid their face. They didn't want to be around him. But it gets even worse. Look at verse 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Isaiah says he bore our griefs, he carried our sorrows. I believe this is speaking of the sickness and pain and agony associated with sin, a sin-first, cursed, fallen creation. We see that this particular portion was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 8. Turn to Matthew chapter 8. When the Lord Jesus was healing and bringing forth his compassionate mercy, he fulfilled this. Matthew 8, verse 14. And when Jesus had come to Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law very sick in bed with a fever. Maybe it's coronavirus. I don't know. It can be very dangerous with a fever. You know, any type of flu, fever we see in the Old Testament, New Testament, very dangerous. And he touched her, and the fever left her, and she arose and waited on him. Isn't that great? And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed and cast out the spirits with a word. He cast out the spirits with the word, and he healed all who were ill. Every single one in this context. In order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. This is what we just read. Saying, he himself took our affirmities and carried away our diseases. Now we're going to see that not only did he do that, he also bore the sins of many, as we'll see. Later on in verse 12, yet he himself bore the sins of many. Verse 12. First Peter 2.24, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you're healed. By the fatal wound of the cross, we're healed. So certainly he bore our griefs and sorrows, and we see that fulfilled, but he also bore our sin. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. They rejected him as someone who was being punished by God. God has smitten him. He is not in God's favor. That's how they saw him. Israel didn't understand. Do you understand? They reckoned him to be nothing. To be a spiritual outcast. But notice what our passage says. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. In spite of the rejection, in contrast, this is what happened. 
pierced through speaks of a piercing wound. That's a fatal wound. And he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's sin. Jesus suffered and died. He was been, he was pierced through and crushed because of our sin, yours and mine. Look at uh, Psalm 22. This is a prophetic, uh, psalm, just as, uh, this passage in Isaiah is prophetic, which was fulfilled in Christ on the cross. Psalm 22, verse 14. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shared. And my tongue cleaves to my, cleaves to my jaws. And thou dost lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. He was pierced through for our transgressions. And he died on the cross. And he rose from the dead. He was pierced through. That's why Christmas, he came to die for us. You see, because we have a problem. Mankind does, and God didn't leave us in that problem. Isaiah 59, verse 1. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. Is he, is he not powerful enough to save? Neither is his ear so dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. You see, sin separates us from God. The wages of sin is death. God is a holy God. Now, our problem is not unique to a few different people. Well, they're real sinners over there. That's a real sinner, this and that. For all of us, there are none righteous, not even one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus... He was pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our inequities because of our sin. That's why we praise him, by the way. When you really realize how much you've been forgiven, if you have been forgiven, then the praise comes more and more and more and more. If you haven't been forgiven much, then you're not going to praise him very much. I'll tell you that right now. Because maybe you don't see yourself as really sinful as you really are. But we need to. This is the message. This is the message that is to be believed. And notice he says, the chastening in verse 5, middle of verse 5, the chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Chastening speaks of punishment. We deserve punishment for our sins. And God the Father poured his cup of wrath out on Jesus instead. He chastened him on the cross in your place and my place. It fell upon him. The punishment for our well-being, shalom, for our peace. You see, sin needs to be dealt with before there's peace. There's no peace for the wicked. Sin needs to be dealt with. And Jesus took care of our sins that we could have peace with God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, Romans 5, when we have peace with God.
Ephesians 2.14, he himself is our peace. He took our punishment, and when that is applied to you, then you have peace with God because the payment has been paid. It's through his stripes, his wounding, his bruising, his scourging that culminated in his death for sin that we are healed of our problem. He died for us. Now look at verse 7. We'll come back to verse 6 in a minute. Look at verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to slaughter, and like a sheep that was silent before it shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due, Jesus physically died. His grave was assigned with wicked men. This is the message. Yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence. Nor was any deceit in his mouth. You see, Jesus never sinned. He was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who took away our sins. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He died for our sins. Therefore, we see in verse 12, Therefore I will allot him portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he wasn't a transgressor, he was sinless. We saw that a minute ago, but he was numbered with them, the two other sinners on the crosses. Yet he himself bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressors. So then, who has believed the message? Well, this message is about Jesus Christ. It's received by faith. It's about him taking on human flesh. It's about his sorrow, grief, rejection, his suffering and death for our sins. But why would he do this? Why would he do this? Why would God, who created all things, who holds all things together, they're all made for him, why would he take on human flesh and suffer at the hands of his own creation, die on the cross? Why would he do so for us? The reason is pretty simple. Look back at verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. It's a simple statement. We see the human condition. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No matter what you say, we've all gone astray. It's just reality. Middle of six, each one has turned his own way. We've each turned our own way. This is why Christmas, because each of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've each turned our own way. And what was God's response to this? What was God's response to your evil and wicked sin and my evil and wicked sin which all of it is what was god's response to that was it to wipe us out was it to destroy us off the face of the earth what was his response look at the contrast middle of verse six but the lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of god in him he took our place that's the message. That's the message. First John 2, 2, he himself is the propitiation from our sins. Propitiation means satisfaction, and it carries the sense of mercy. Not ours only, but for those of the whole world. First Peter three eighteen. for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just 
for the unjust in order that he might bring us to God. But you've got to recognize you're unjust. You've got to recognize you're sinful. You've got to know what you're being saved from. You don't call out to someone to save you from something that you don't believe you need to be saved from. Jesus is the satisfaction. God is satisfied with his sacrifice. He's not satisfied with any of your religious actions. He's not satisfied with that at all. He's satisfied with what Jesus did. And it is by faith that we believe. Titus 3.5 For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Hey, that's the human condition. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Isn't that great? So why would he become a man, sorrowless, acquainted with grief, one from whom men hid their face? face? Why would he be pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities? Why would he die for us? Because of our sin. But there's one more thing. Scripture reveals it's because he loves us. Because he loves us. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 9, by this, but this is the love, by this is the love of God, which is manifest in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He went through all of that for us. He loves us. Why Christmas? Because you and I have sinned. And because God is a loving God. Because he sent his son to die for our sins. The Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Turn back to Luke chapter 2. We have the message. Luke chapter 2 verse 6. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over the flock, their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the peoples. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see the thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. 
And they came in haste, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about the child, this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told by the sh- to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as they had been told. What should be our response? Glorifying and praising God for all that we have seen about Jesus. How are you doing? Are you empty, burdened, with a load of care? Do you have peace? Well, today you can have true peace if you're willing to acknowledge your sin. If you're willing to believe the message that he came and he died in your place, bearing your sin in his body because we've gone astray. But God has caused the iniquity of of us all to fall on him. Behold the lamb who takes away the sin, lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Have you believed the message? Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. That means you've got to realize you need a Savior. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy milk and wine without money, without cost. Why do you spend money for what's not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Seek the Lord while he may be found. If you die, it's over. Seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. He is near to you today. He's calling out through his word by his spirit. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the righteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. And then believers, what about us? Have we taken lightly God's love for us? Have we reduced the message of Christmas to simply uh, a babe in the manger and, and presents? The reality is the true message should bring us to glorify God and praise him for what he has done in his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the true message And I thank you that there are those of us here who have believed the message. Thank you. Thank you so much that your son came and willingly uh, took on human flesh to do your will. And that he was despised and forsaken. And yet he was pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. That the chastening, your chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And that by his... uh, scourging stripes we are healed lord may we praise you and worship you for what you've done in jesus may we not let this world and the stuff going on and the things of christmas from a world's perspective pull our eyes off of jesus we thank you for him in his precious name amen